Hey, thanks for joining us. We have Congressman Madison Cawthorn. Fasten your seatbelt. You will not want to miss this. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Seek First Podcast. I'm Rick Brown. We talk about everything here, life, seeking God, biblical truth, today's culture, and whatever is on my guest's radar to unpack. We want to understand what is happening around us. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First podcast. Thanks, everybody. Let's jump in. Madison Cawthorn is a congressman representing your people from your home state of North Carolina. And what goes on in your heart and mind? We're going to hear more about it this Sunday morning. But what got you involved? We're always sharing with our people we have to get involved in a local level to see change and liberty really restored. We're losing it. It's just like slipping through our fingers in America right now with uh, even this week, the President Biden's administration weaponizing the DOJ uh, with the FBI to come after parents who are speaking up at their school board meetings to uh, villainize them as, demonize them as domestic terrorists. It's, it's unbelievable and unprecedented. As a freshman congressman, what got you involved uh, with this process? Well, you know, I'll tell you, obviously, you know, I, I've always been interested in public service, but I thought I would do that way later in life, you know, raise a family, have a good career, and, and then, you know, use the last bit, you know, last few decades of my life to really serve my country. Uh, but then I got engaged and I started really processing where our country was. And I thought, you know, just 10 years ago, I was 24 years old when this happened. I was like, I said, just 10 years ago, the country that I was living in doesn't exist anymore. I mean, you there the indoctrination, the political forces that are acting on our children, uh, the amount of division you see in the country, it is just it is just gone up to enumerated powers I really just couldn't have imagined. You know, it's exponential growth, really. And so I wanted to get involved because I thought, how difficult would it be to raise kids in today's culture? I mean, you know, right now, what you were just alluding to, when you have parents who are showing up to a school board meeting, and now get this, uh, they're trying to say that it is radical, that you are the Unabomber, that you are equivalent to Al-Qaeda if you want to be involved with what's being taught to your children. If, let's say, you stand against, stand against critical race theory, okay, well, once we all start understanding that, of course, yeah, we should all stand against that. It's, it's racist philosophy. Uh, but then you even take it another step forward and you say, well, why is my fourth grader uh, reading these explicitly pornographic books of, of sexual acts with young people, with adults, uh, all of these crazy things that we're starting to uncover is going on inside of our school systems. Uh, you know, I, I'm very thankful that I was homeschooled all the way through because, you know, I, I've stopped calling them public schools. I really call them government schools now because I don't believe they work in the public interest of the United States. And so that's why I wanted to get involved is to stop the direction where we're going, where we literally have a large proportion of the country who's saying, no, 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 please do come give me more governance. Please do come weaponize the FBI and the DOJ because, you know, that can never be used against me, right, until the day that it happens and it's used against you. It's unbelievable. And not only that, if uh, the administration gets its way, any, any transaction over $600, uh, the IRS is going to be weaponized to look into your private bank accounts and these things. Now, with all of that, um, running through the election process, man, it is brutal, isn't it? I mean, the smear and the hit pieces and 
I mean, how do you uh, galvanize your soul going through that process, not only to get elected, but once you're elected, it just, the hits keep coming because like you said, they attack your values and they try to shame you. You're a white supremacist. You're a homophobe. You're a xenophobe. You're a whatever phobe they want to throw at us to, to shut us up, right? How, how do you galvanize your soul in your walk with the Lord and, and all of that? You know, I'll tell you, it does take a lot of conviction and a lot of galvanization of your soul because really, I would say once I we were going through the real brunt of the attack and, you know, most of us as, as good God-fearing Christians, you know, we're told about how powerful the tongue is in Proverbs, that it's the udder that steers an entire ship. Uh, and so we realize that words truly do matter. And so when people that are good-hearted, that, you know, believe in the faith as we do, are called a racist or an Islamophobe. Right? I think I was called fat phobic recently, which I think is, I've never heard of that one before. Um, and, you know, whatever phobe they want to throw on you, whatever ism they want to throw on you, uh, when you start being called that, it makes us stop. It hits us in the gut because we're like, whoa, no, that's evil. I would never be a racist. I would never do these things. I would never, what you are saying I am is the complete opposite of the truth. But then you realize, wait a minute, these people actually don't care what words they're using. They just are throwing everything at the wall, trying to get something to stick. And, you know, when I started, you know, to the point that they're calling people fat phobic, I mean, what does that even mean? And really one day after I had just kind of had enough, I was off with my wife and I, I was just, I, I took a moment. I really just cried out to God. It was very similar to some of those Psalms where, you know, David's saying, you know, why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? You know, asking God, have you been here? Why, why am I having to hide in this freaking cage from Saul for so long? It doesn't make any sense. And you know what? I, 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 I took some advice my brother had given me um, after I'd been through a hard car accident. And it's, hey, if you're mad at God or you have some, some issues, you know, I think you can have a hard conversation with him. I'm pretty sure God can handle it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I went, I had a very candid conversation with God and really just wept and let, laid my soul bare. And the thing that stuck with me the most is that I shouldn't care what these people who hate everything I believe call me because they are not the ones who called me to this position. And I will tell you, nothing has been more freeing for me personally then when I realized these people will try and stop me no matter what I do. There is no amount of times that I can bend the knee or satiate the radicals in this country who hate our Christian values, hate our founding values, want to destroy our history, rip away our monuments, and these people are evil. And there's no amount of bending the knee to them that will say, oh, you know what, actually, he's pretty good. Now we'll have him on MSNBC and Morning Joe. We'll be really nice to him now. No, these people will always hate us. And it's time for us to realize we need to get hard we need to 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 really galvanize your soul like you were saying to be able to handle this because again the attacks will not stop coming but i have found that anybody who is either somewhat painted in a rosy picture by what i call the corporate media scheme um or is not being attacked constantly they are not working on your behalf the people who are attacked the most in the media let me tell you those people are the most selfless they are the people who say, you know what, this does suck. I hate being dragged through the mud. But if the people in Washington, D.C. hate me, the people who want to destroy everything I believe in hate me, that means I'm doing my job. So it's basically comforting yourself by having the right enemies. That, that's absolutely correct. I mean, it really <laughs> is. That's, that's a brutal way to put it, but it's true. <laughs> so to maintain being a, a, a preacher for 32 years, you have to learn how to have uh, the skin of a rhinoceros and a tender heart, but it's really easy to get 
thin-skinned and take everything personal and get a hard, bitter heart. And that's really the challenge because it's the question is not if people are talking, it's what, how much they're talking and how much uh, publicity you're getting at the time. So having went through that process and continuing, as long as you're in public office, that is your world. I mean, that is just the constant um, attack that's going to be against you. How much has it changed from what you thought the process would look like as a freshman congressman coming in to actually being effective in the halls of Congress as um, with, the, with the split in the Senate, with the majority of the, the uh, especially seemingly the progressive left being in charge of the House, from what your expectation was to the reality of it, Kind of describe that. Walk, walk us through it. We who have not served in that capacity in Congress. Absolutely. So I'll tell you the first myth that was dispelled for me, because, you know, I, I knew there was a way too much money being put around. People were spending way too long in office. Um, the bureaucrats had way too much power. But I'll tell you the thing that truly did surprise me is, you know, I did speech and debate all through high school. Uh, I'm willing to sit down and have an honest conversation as long as we all agree on the premise of the question. And so I was really actually looking forward to, and I knew Nancy Pelosi would be in command, uh, but all these representatives of in, within Congress, all 435 of them, being gathered on the House floor, each of them representing between 700 and 800,000 people. And then, you know, I, as I said, I knew Nancy had, would be in command, but then she would, you know, give some issue saying, well, you know, the infrastructure in Indianapolis is falling apart and it's killing 42, Amer 42 Americans a day. What can we as a federal government do about it? And then we'd sit there and we'd have this open discourse and a big, long debate. And, you know, we'd have the best orators from both sides and the best researchers and our staffs. We'd work in nonstop. And then we'd say, well, you know what? I disagree with most of what that person said, but I'll take her point on this. And then we combine it with that. Then all of a sudden you have this great middle ground compromise that works for everybody. But I have to tell you, that is not how it works. If it did, I think Congress would actually be an effective body. But unfortunately... You know, all the decisions are made either at a really nice steakhouse, fancy dinner with some special interest group that's trying to, to buy your support for something, or it's made in the bowels of Congress where Nancy Pelosi is torturing her members to get them to vote the correct way. Uh, I mean, it, 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 and obviously that, that's being facetious in that point, but there's, there's really never a, a time all of the members of Congress come together. And when you watch this on C-SPAN, uh, having a debate with somebody, you'll notice the, the camera's incredibly zoomed in compared to when the State of the Union happened and it's showing the whole room. And the reason is, is because they don't want to show how few members of Congress showed up to actually debate the issues. And it's a, uh, it, it's a very sad reality in Washington. Yeah. So something that recently came out, and just observing it once again, our desire is to engage our congregation and engage people in at a local level that affects things in a larger way for good. Um, the bill that was just uh, the NDA that came through, uh, and it's a military bill. They, they cram all this other stuff in it. And if you don't vote for it, you're not for the military. If you do vote for it, you're... You're against the, you know, if you don't vote for it, you're against the military. And how so many things, they, they're not germane to the actual bill. It's like you can't pull it apart. It's like a bill of 2,500 pages or something. How do you approach something like that? And Because uh, I know that there was the red flag issue with, with gun rights. And just kind of unpack that for people. Because people just look back and say, well, they voted for this or that. 
but they don't understand kind of the process that makes it difficult, kind of a lose-lose situation for people that are trying to stand for certain principles. Absolutely. So, the, the, again, I, what, what you're alluding to with uh, these bills that are so massive that you really can't pull them apart and you can't take one piece out without taking another piece out, uh, this is what we, you know, there's things called the omnibus bill, omni meaning, you know, all-encompassing within Latin, and, and there are bills that like this that are so large where I think we really need to have a constitutional amendment where we all agree that you can have one bill with one subject. And within that bill, you know, it has a small paragraph at the top that explains really the, the scope of this bill and then everything that follows it has got to be pertaining to that or else it can't be in the bill because there's so mm -hmm. many things that are in this. And again, you know, it became very difficult. Um, and we had to play a, a game of 3D chess because um, there was a, an issue in it where uh, members of the military were facing dishonorable discharges for uh, being denied religious exemption for the vaccine and saying, okay, well, I'm sorry that you denied that, but I, that, that's still my belief. And, you know, I, I answer to a higher power than, you know, your rank and I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so this would protect those members from being dishonorably discharged. They would just be let go of the military. It wouldn't be dishonorable. And so, um, that was really the biggest selling point. It was sending some National Guard troops to the southern border. There's some things that were going on with uh, tracking how the COVID-19 virus started. Um, and, and so there were a lot of good parts, but there were also a lot of bad parts. But the thing that I, that I think a lot of people were confused on, um, because there were 130 Republicans that voted for this bill, myself included, and I had a lot of people instantly start giving me calls and everything and is wanting to reach out. And then I realized, oh, no. They don't understand that we didn't just we didn't vote to pass this bill. So the NDAA works in a very unique way um, because there's a Senate Armed Services Committee and a House Armed Services Committee, and so this was just a procedural vote to say, okay, we all agree to, you know, that this is what we, the best thing that this Armed Services Committee has come up with. So now let's vote to move this to the next step in the process, which is a conference mm -hmm. with two committees, and then we won't actually vote on that bill until December. Uh, but I, I will tell you, if it has the language that says they will draft our daughters or if it has the language that says that there will be red flag laws for members of the military, I will absolutely vote against it. But, uh, yeah, the biggest just it's, it's difficult to explain to people because once you start getting involved with uh, really the parliamentary procedures that go on in Washington, it sounds awfully swampy. And it really does because it's like, oh, yeah, I know it looks like I voted for it, but I did it. We're not voting on it until December. But it's a very nuanced process. Yeah. And I'm so glad because, you know, people were talking to me about it. I did as much research as you can. But if you're the boots on the ground, you, you can explain it uh, because that was my understanding that it was voted upon. But it's basically just voted approved to go to the next level of discussion, which will be voted on. And because those were the troubling things for people, right? Your constituents that were calling about drafting our daughters that are 18 to 25 for military right. service. And uh, which is... It seems like a crazy thing to put in there. I mean, I, uh, and, and, and then the red flag issue. So, Yeah, and I, I will tell you, I believe that, you know, uh, I love our freedom of speech in this country. I love, I love our freedom of assembly. I love the fact that, you know, we have a great freedom of religion, religious beliefs in this country, all of, all of these incredible rights that we have. But in my mind, if we lose the Second Amendment, that's how you lose everything. That's the difference between being citizens and subjects. Because you look what's going on in Australia right now. I mean, they have stormtroopers that are in the streets just beating people to death. And I'll tell you, I, I don't think American riot squads would be that that bold to go out and do that if they knew, well, hang on, I'm in the South and 
probably three-fourths of everyone here has a gun. Maybe I shouldn't be a tyrant. And mm -hmm. it puts these tyrants in place, and our, I think our forefathers were brilliant to include that. Um, but again, yes, yeah, so this bill will be voted on in December for final passage, and so that, that's when the real vote, the consequential vote happens. But unfortunately, there's been a lot of people who've been trying to fundraise off this idea that, you know, 130 Republicans voted for a uh, for uh, red flag laws, which is just, it, it's incorrect, it's intellectually dishonest and sad. Yeah, that, that, that is too bad, because that is the rhetoric that I've been hearing, and I right. thought you would be able to bring the light and the understanding for that. Well, now, thank you. With that, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, we want to answer, it's, it's so easy to be the armchair quarterback. You, you're not there, you don't know how it's going, what, how it's all unpacked, uh, how the boat's going to unfold. So, um, along with that, all these, um, the overall Biden agenda, we see now with the southern border, Madison, we only have a few minutes to kind of wrap this up, but um, the southern border, 10 governors now are getting together as states to try to fix a problem that on one hand, the southern border is wide open, and on the other hand, Afghanistan was the biggest military debacle and unbelievable leadership failure uh, throughout. And yet it doesn't matter where we turn, the, the, the level of tragic failure in leadership in this administration. Um, still the, the, the corporate media and everybody just keeps blowing sunshine and rainbows. You know, you're absolutely correct. And I, Pastor, I've got to give you credit. Um, you know, if you, I don't know how much you know about the, the Black Robe Regiment in the uh, in yeah. but for those of you who don't know, it's a uh, it was you know a, a fictional. It was not an actually formed regiment, but there was one Sunday where everyone ha um, pastors gave their sermons, and then they took the black robes of the faith off, and underneath was the Patriots uniform, and then mm -hmm. you know they encouraged everyone. If you if your man is willing to fight for our religious liberties, that you know are clearly laid out and clearly predate any form of government, then come fight with me. And then these people came. And I will tell you, you know, thankfully, I don't think we're at a place where we're going to have to go take up arms and all of us go fight, thank God. Uh, but I think all of people like you, pastors like you getting involved is what's going to keep us from getting to that point and getting people involved to realize, hey, your government's slipping away from you. They no longer fear the people. They no longer have. They no longer are, care about the consent of the governed. And when you see what happened in Afghanistan, and now that there's not even a slap on the wrist for whether it's General Milley or Secretary Oster and whoever was making the decisions, um, there's not even a slap on the wrist because it doesn't seem like they even have a care in the world uh, about this. When you saw, you know, of course, I think we should have gotten out of Afghanistan way sooner. As soon as we found out that uh, Osama bin Laden was not there, I think we should have left. Um, but we've literally been there deployed in Afghanistan for the overwhelming majority of my life, uh, since I was five, that we have been in Afghanistan. And so I was happy that, you know, okay, great, we're, we're all getting out. But I mean, literally any 15-year-old that has a PlayStation and plays Call of Duty would understand, okay, before you take the troops out, you need to remove your people, uh, get rid of your allies, remove your assets, the $86 billion of high-tech weaponry they out, out the, yeah. um, the, the, the terrorists now have, and then you need to bomb your bases to smithereens. Um, but unfortunately, we just gave it to them on a silver platter. Uh, but then when we see what's going on in the southern border, you know, I, I just gave a speech on the House floor um, calling, this is probably about 20 days ago now, because it was right after a group of governors had sent a letter to Joe Biden. 
And then I saw these governors going on national television and they were saying, well, you know, Joe Biden still hasn't responded to our letters uh, asking him to address the concerns that well, we as governors have at our southern border. And I sit there and, and just said, the American people must be laughing. I mean, to think that we're at a stage in our nation's history where you can just write a letter to your tyrant and then it's going to magically change everything or that you even expected to get a reply. No, I genuinely believe, unfortunately, what's going on on our southern border uh, has absolutely nothing to do um, with it with it, uh, being a disaster or a stain on, on this presidency and this administration. It's exactly according to plan. Uh, and this speech I gave on the House floor was saying, Republican governors, I know it's not your duty and unfortunately it should be the federal government. But unfortunately, the, the role has landed to you. Please stand up and do something. Be bold. The American people will have your back. And if you have the American people, you're invincible. And after we said that, you know, I'm very happy we're seeing uh, action now, really being led by Governor Greg Abbott in Texas. Very proud of him. An incredible man. A fellow guy in a wheelchair. And so he's a, I think he's, he's a really great man. But, you know, I, the thing that I think needs to happen uh, at our southern border is we need to lock it down. Because, again, like I said, this is exactly according to plan for the radical socialists, because as you well know, for the last four to six decades, uh, well before I was born, we have effectively been creating a welfare state in our society. Now, fortunately for all of us, our economy is so incredible. We have been so blessed. Our, when we came out of post-World War II, we were the only major, uh, really advanced nation, great power that did not have any of our manufacturing uh, destroyed or rubbled, whereas Europe was completely in ashes. Russia knocked all to all apart. Uh, China was still a third-world country. Japan had been you know, nuked. Um, and so we had, got to have this incredible blessing of the strongest economy the world's ever known. And all the way up until 2019, we had the strongest economy the world's ever known. But because we started creating this welfare state, and our economy's been able to handle it just because it's so great, uh, now that we're starting to see this flood, this invasion of illegal immigrants coming into our country, I genuinely believe that whoever runs in 2024 on the Democratic ticket is going to make a major piece of their platform to legalize illegal immigrants in this country. And then because of the welfare state that we have, we will start paying out so much money. Our debt will increase so quickly that our system will collapse. And then finally, you know, these people in the squad, these people who hate Israel, these people who hate our God, people who hate our values, can then point and say, look, I told you capitalism would fail. We need to institute full-blown socialism. Uh, we need government control and government ran of all forms of manufacturing uh, and means of production. And I believe that is the end goal for what's going on. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a full-blown socialism to communist type of control that they're they're after. And if American citizens don't stand up and voice their opinion, it, it's going to happen because we the people have to exercise the values that we have. And um, as we wrap it up, uh, we're excited about you coming this weekend. It's going to be a special time for you to come. We showed a clip of you saying, Madam Speaker, you are not God <laughs> uh, at our church. And I, I said we had a, a standing ovation. It was, uh, and you weren't even there in person. So uh, people love you here, Madison. You have support. And there's no, uh, um, it's, it's great to have community where people have your back. 
People have asked us, why are we fighting so hard for liberty? We're preachers. Why shouldn't we just be focusing on the gospel of Jesus and teaching the Bible? And we've shared with them over and over, Madison, and we pray that churches across America will wake up, that our number one goal is to preach the love of Jesus to a lost and hurting world. But if we can't do it in a free country, our second responsibility has to be to speak up to remain a free people so we can do our first priority. So the, our first priority is to preach the gospel. Second is to have a country where we can preach the gospel and it's not illegal. Well, Pastor, I completely agree with you, and I, I highly encourage you uh, go through read the book of Esther. Esther was somebody you know who, who she, you know she was she was Jewish, but she was you know just because of it, it was in the Old Testament, she would have basically been a Christian, um, someone who was knew God's love, who was heavily heavily influencing the government of her day to try and change what's going on. And, and, you know, the the famous saying by her uncle that perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Well, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, I'm honored uh, to be Mm -hmm. in this generation because that means that God had ordained for us to be for such a time, to be born for such a time as this. And when you start looking at the evil that's coming, when you start looking at the, the, the depravity that's going on in our culture, you realize that, wow, this is a big hurdle that we need to get across, but what we need is we need the American Christian church to start getting involved. And and this doesn't mean just in politics, but it means so in culture, because, you know, I, I hear these critics all the time criticize my own pastor, especially a lot of pastors in North Carolina, and they say, hey, well, you know, your whole job is just to get people saved, and you need to be focused completely on that. But at the end of the day, they forget that it's also the role of the church to focus very heavily on discipleship. And discipleship leads to being a culture warrior and a culture leader. And for too long, our church has just been so focused on baptism without any discipleship and had our hands off of any form of culture wars that we have now seen our culture slip to where we were basically Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it, it, there's so much yeah. depravity right now. I so I'm excited yeah. to be with you all. Hey, amen. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you this Sunday and uh, safe travels. We'll see you soon. Great. See you, my friend. See the light in the darkness. I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 whoa. trouble I keep my heart seeking you oh I will keep my heart seeking you whoa whoa Your king
in times of trouble I'll keep my heart seeking you I will keep my heart seeking